It is so good to see you today. Um, we are going to uh, pick up our emphasis on fullness, as you might have picked up looking behind me and at the screen. Um, I need to um, go ahead and um, make an announcement first, lest I forget. We're doing some things on the fly. That's why Pastor Corey is saying we have to change this, that, and the other. Some is just because of crowds, good, wonderful responses. Um, but we also are ready to present to you a way that you can help in regard to our future plans involving the new land, involving the renovation of some of our existing facility. The 27th of February, we are uh, going to have one service on that day. We love it. We try to do it a couple of times a year anyway, where we bring everybody together. It's so exciting when we can do that. Um, you say, well, man, how are we going to get everybody in here? Well, number one, we're going to forget about social distancing because uh, it, it, it won't work on that day. But we will have some extra chairs. We'll have, um, I think, some chairs probably set up in the foyer. Brown Chapel will be overflow. But what we want to present to you and the way we want to present it um, we, we don't think we can do twice in a day. Um, the theme is generations, and we're going to be talking about uh, the future for our children, for our young people, for your grandchildren. It's going to be a great day, an exciting day. That's on the 27th. So just remember to come early to get a good seat on that day because we'll be having one service uh, instead of two, like we usually do, and uh, uh, overflow in Brown Chapel if you're not comfortable sitting too close yet. I understand, but um, that will be on the 27th, and it's going to be a very special day. Let's get started today, and as our custom is, I'd like for us to begin with the Lord's Prayer. We're opening our heart to the word repentance today, but as we get started, let's look to the screen and pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We are picking back up with the idea of fullness. And as I announced a couple of weeks ago, <coughs> we, um, we want to, uh, well, we've already begun the series, but we want to pick up today with some vocabulary lessons. Um, you say vocabulary lessons. Yeah, if you're my age or, or older, just think back. Um, when I was growing up and probably from fourth grade through uh, junior high anyway, we had vocabulary every week. And if you were like my school system, what you had to do was know how to spell the word. They'd give you like 10 new words every week. You had to know how to spell it. You had to know how to define it. And to be sure you understood it, you had to use it in a sentence. Most of us did okay with the spelling. The defining was a little awkward sometimes, especially where it was a long definition, but using it in a sentence was very funny. I heard of one fellow when we had the word notwithstanding, he used this as a sentence, I wore out the seat of my pants 
but notwithstanding. And uh, it, technically it's true, but I don't think he got the understanding of the word very well. Listen, Lloyd, Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, as I shared a couple of weeks ago, he said when the people of God are discouraged, he said that it's not encouragement that they need, it's doctrine. Now, I know there's a place for encouragement. There's a place, Paul says to the Galatians, that we bear one another's burdens. I know that. And everything that's said needs to be taken in context and, and in balance. But what he was trying to say was when we are needing encouragement, it's usually not because we're in that bad a place. It's because we don't understand how good a place we're really in with, uh, with what God has done for us. And Dr. Lloyd-Jones basically built his church in London saying this, the better we understand Christian doctrine, the better we live the Christian life. So what we're after over the next few months is as part of our fullness. Now, this won't be the only thing that we do on these Sundays. It's not like the next 14 Sundays we're doing these words. But over probably the next five or six months, we are going to cover 14 words, and I believe this with all of my heart. I believe if we can understand the dynamic of those words and understand the doctrine behind those words, we will find ourselves in a lot less struggle, in a lot less doubt, in a lot less distress when we understand what God has done for us. Now, with each of those 14 words, we're going to give you a vocabulary card that you can have, you can put it on your refrigerator, you can make a collection and teach your grandkids, whatever you wanna do. But uh, <coughs> we're, in fact, I'm, I'm working on a catechism for our children. Um, it's gonna take me a while to do it, but this is part of what I want our children to learn. I want them to learn what these 14 words mean. And um, the word today is repentance. And each week you'll get the word and uh, by the way, you see words that reflect our choice. We said that um, uh, that there were four groups of words, words that reflect our choice. And uh, those three words are repentance, faith, and confession. When you understand repentance, faith, and confession, you understand the powerful choice that we make to follow the Lord. I know it originates with God, and without Him we can't believe but we also have to make a choice. And that choice is defined by repentance, um, by faith and confession. Those are the first three words we'll look at. Then there are words that talk about the change. When I make these choices, unimaginable change takes place in me. And there's about a half dozen or so words that talk about what happens in me when I make the decision to follow the Lord. And you will be amazed at what you are. You will be amazed at what is working in you. And then after we talk about the change, we'll take a, a two or three words to talk about the consequences. Because I've made this choice and because this change has occurred, therefore, this is happening in my life, the consequences. And then the last four words are about the challenge. Uh, that means how do we live this out? Uh, uh, we'll talk about uh, community, what it means to be in the body of Christ. And we'll talk about the culmination, what happens when all of this is completed, when we stand before the Lord. But I want to tell you, these are 14 words worth learning. So that's what this, this is about, this card. 
And um, let's, let's dig in and get started. Don't forget, don't forget, um, I'm trying to read my notes, be sure I've got everything. Um, don't forget February 27th, one service. Uh, that day we won't be talking about one of the words, but we will be talking about the, uh, what's before us with the land and how you can help. The scripture we want to look at today, and there's so many verses that talk about repentance, but one that sort of brings us to the definition is Romans 12, 2, and 1 and 2 go together. Let's read that. Therefore, you don't have to read it with me. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. King James says your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now let's talk about some foundations for choice and repentance in particular. Uh, one of the Hebrew words, the general Hebrew word is the word shub. And it means to return. And Hebrew is a very precise language. There's not nearly as many words in Hebrew as there are in Greek or some other languages. So you rely heavily on context in Hebrew. But basically, the idea of return was almost always in the context, almost always in the context of returning to God. The Old Testament said, you've walked away from something. There's something that's been presented, but you and I have walked away from it. So to repent, number one, means that we return to something. In the Greek, it's the same idea, expanded a little bit. Metanoia, metanoia, change your mind or change your way of thinking, change your thought process. Another way of looking at it would be to say this, change your world view. Now I want to say this, in spite of what a lot of teachers are giving you metanoia repentance doesn't just mean to get a more positive attitude that is not what's at the heart of repentance um, your mind is not a penthouse that you're remodeling it's that's that's not what we're talking about it's the idea of your basic core way of thinking is renovated and you don't think this way anymore you think this way and it's not just getting a good positive confession. That's not repentance. Now, repentance can lead to that. But I'm, I'm afraid that many people are presenting a gospel that's little more than just getting a good attitude. You know, remember God's not in a bad mood. Well, he's never in a bad mood. You know, I don't even like to hear God's in a good mood. He's, God is mood free. He is perfect all the time. Now, he has moments of expression when wrath may be expressed or mercy may be expressed. But God, we don't have to worry about him having moods. We don't have to worry about him having moods. And I don't mean to be dishonorable to anyone. I'm just saying we, we have taken the Western mindset and tried to give God a Western mind. But repentance says that we're returning to God. We return to what we walked away from. And a part of that, the New Testament explains, is that we change our world view. We've got a lot of people that want to live in the world and have a worldview and still be a church member. 
We've got a lot of folks that want to still let the systems of this world, world rule their life. That's one of the reasons Paul said the wrath of man doesn't work the righteousness of God. We still think systems in this world will serve us well in the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is upside down. The first is last. The last is first. If you want to be great, be less. If you want to be less, it'll make you great. Uh, you know, and, and the, the, the idea of repentance, the kingdom view is crazy to the natural mind. How do I treat someone that's treating me bad? You treat them good. How do I treat someone that is cursing me? You bless them. How do I treat someone that's dishonoring and accusing me? You honor them. So everything is upside down. And one of the first lessons we learn about the kingdom of God is that it begins with repentance and repentance will tell you three things. And that's what I want us to look at today as we get into this uh, series, now, I, or this explanation. I, I want to say this, these words that require us to understand we have a choice, you know, the, the, the repentance, the faith and confession. Now I know, and we'll talk about this next week, we know that like the ability to repent, the ability to have faith, the ability to confess, it's all given to us by God. We can't believe unless he lets us believe. We can't approach him unless he draws us. We, we understand that. But in his providential wisdom, and this does not lessen his sovereignty in the least, God says, I will offer this and you must respond. You are not put in a box that says you can respond and you can't respond. You will respond and you won't respond. That's not what sovereignty talks about at all. But God in his sovereignty says, you can't even know me unless I reveal myself to you. But that being said, you must make a choice. And it teaches us two things. It teaches us self-awareness. That means that I am a entity. I am a being with free moral agency and the power of choice. I have to make a choice. And it also opens my eyes to the idea of self-determination. I make the choice for myself. Even God does not make the choice for me. I make the choice according to the grace that he has shown. And then after I make the choice, I, I see things like predestination. I see things like election. And God has said to everyone that will choose, to everyone that will make the choice, these things begin to work. And so we have an awesome responsibility. The central truth is this. All of these words, repentance, faith, and confession, we're, we're on repentance today, share the central idea of turning from a life that is being lost toward a life that is being saved. You, the, the central definition that I want you to remember about repentance is that repentance is turning around in life from going in the wrong direction to going in the right direction. That's what repentance is. I'm going one way and now I'm going to start going another way. It's more than acknowledging I'm wrong. It's more than having remorse that I am wrong. You know, a lot of people have remorse. I regret that I ever took that first shot of whatever in my veins. I regret it. I regret that I ever took my first drink of alcohol. I regret that I ever 
punched my wife, you know, years ago, that first time. I regret that I followed down that destructive pathway, but they, they have remorse, but not repentance because they're not willing to turn around. And loved ones, we in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't do this much because we're so afraid of being politically incorrect. We're so afraid of alienating somebody. You know, um, we're so afraid that people will be offended that we tell them they're going to hell. That we don't tell them, we try to accommodate them. And what we've done is at best, so many times we create a congregation of people that are remorseful, but they haven't really repented because they're still living the way they used to live. They have denied by their life that, the, that the gospel is the power of God to salvation because they say, I believe, but there's been no change in their life. Boy, I got off to a great start here today. So in conclusion, not a chance, not a chance. I want you to understand three things about repentance. And the first one is what I just said. Repentance is turning around in life from going in the wrong direction to taking action that makes me go in the right direction. And this happens because my mind is changed. There is a new worldview. There is a new truth. It takes something when you've been going this way, no offense to you folks over here. Uh, I need to be more ambidextrous, I guess. But when you're going this way and you've been going this way for a long time, most people don't just decide to stop and turn around. Something has got to happen. And that thing is called repentance. And there are three dynamics. The first is the, the turning around. In both the Old and New Testaments, the meaning is a turning toward God. Now, we talked about how salvation has to do with past, present, and future. And we won't cover this on every word. You can make application in every word, but that may get too tedious for us. But when we look at the past, we turn away from a wrong decision chosen in the past. Repentance says, I've made a wrong decision in my past, and I've got to come to grips with the consequences of that decision, and I've got to admit I'm going the wrong way. We have a tendency, rather, to blame it on our parents, or to blame it on a system, or to blame it on somebody else. And, and that's not to say there's not blame that goes in other places, but the very nature of repentance takes on us the responsibility for our sin. The prophet said, uh, Isaiah said, all we like sheep, all of us like sheep have gone astray and the Lord has laid on him, Messiah, the iniquity of us all. Listen, I know that we, many of us have been done wrong by other people or other people groups or by our parents or by a wayward uncle or by a bully in school. I know that, but Repentance understands that even though you've got all of this stuff, you chose the wrong road. I chose the wrong road. And we cannot stand before the Lord and blame anyone or anything else for the sin that we have embraced in our life. I've told you before, my friend Terry Wasden and I, when we were moving from West Florida uh, he and I lived, oh, our, our towns were just a few miles apart. Uh, Terry lived in Jay, I lived in Pensacola. And we packed up, we were in two cars, headed to Springfield, Missouri to go to graduate school. Now, that was before the days of cell phones and all of that stuff, GPS. Um, 
uh, all of that technology was in the highest echelons of government, but we were technologically savvy for our generation. So we both had a $40 CB in our cars and that's how we communicated. And, uh, uh, it, it was a long haul. Terry had had a, a, a relative that was dying and Terry had lost a night's sleep and we should have just waited, but we were working with a deadline and, and Terry was struggling to stay awake. And so it was, we'd stop every uh, couple hours just so he could stay awake. And we probably should have waited, but we didn't. We thought we were young, thought we could do anything. And it's a long ways from Pensacola to Springfield, Missouri. And we got into new territory. We got into Arkansas. And back then, I don't know if it's still that way now, but there were a couple of, you know, like very sharp, quick turns you'd come up on that you had to make to get to Springfield. And, and I missed one. I was leading the way and I missed it. And I, I, you know, we we're back and forth on the radio. I said, Terry, let me pull over. I said, I, he said, you know, by my calculations, we should have been to this town, to this town, this town already. We haven't seen any of them. And I said, well, let, let me pull over. Let me look at the map. And I looked over, uh, pulled over. I looked at the map. I realized where we were. And I got back on the radio. I said, Terry, uh, I said, I've got good news and bad news. And he said, well, give me the bad news first. That's, this trip's been bad news already. Just give me the bad news. I said, the bad news is... Uh, I forget, 30, 50 miles back, I made, I, I missed a turn and we've been going the wrong way. He said, oh, well, I'm glad we caught it now. He said, it cost us a couple hours, but at least we caught it. He said, what's the good news? I said, the good news is that though we're going the wrong way, we are making excellent time. <laughs> we, are, we are really making good time. Um, you know, that's the thing about going the wrong way. It's a road well-traveled. Uh, it's a road that may even look better than the old road. That's why Jesus said, the road I want you on is narrow and small. The one that you're on is broad and accommodating, well-traveled, but it's wrong. And, um, you know, I missed a turn, you know, earlier, an hour or so earlier, I missed a turn. And I have to understand that I made a wrong decision when I came to that place in the road. Repentance, number one, says, look at my past. I may be traveling a well-traveled, attractive, well-maintained road, but it's a way to destruction. I'm going the wrong way. Now, the decision has to be clear. When you repent, you understand not only am I going the wrong way, but I have to make a decision to do something about it. Now, I want to say this, uh, and, and I also realize I'm giving you three fairly new concepts to most of us, uh, so just bear with me, because I'm, the Christian life lessons will kind of tie some things together. I do want you to understand that I believe that it requires a personal response for a person to go to heaven. Now, I think a baby a, or a child of a certain age or someone with a certain diminished mental capacity, I believe they are covered in innocence or, I mean, the, the, Lord, the Lord is not trying to figure out ways to send people to hell. 
uh, all he had to do was leave us to our own selves and we would accomplish that. Um, I realize though that there are, there are exceptions to what I'm saying. Age, um, the, 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 the moral capacity of a two-year-old is different from an eight-year-old and eight-year-old's different from a 12-year-old. I understand that. But generally speaking, there has to be a decision made. Now, what we need to be careful of is that we in the Pentecostal, Protestant, evangelical community, we believe that the decision will be made at a definite moment in time. I got saved at 837 on a Sunday night on February 13th. 1969 or whatever. And I've even heard people say, if you don't know when you were saved, you ain't saved. Um, I, I, I understand what they're trying to say. And I do believe that there is a decision to be made. John said, when we walk with Jesus, we have passed from death to life. There's a tense that says, I was going this way and now I go this way. I pass from that, I pass to this. Um, he described it, Jesus did, as a new birth. And loved ones, there's no such thing as a, as a subdued birth. No woman goes into labor and says, oh, wait a minute, did I just have the baby? No. I mean, there, there, there are oaths made. There are accusations made. There are things thrown against the wall. No, you know that, I mean, and I know the baby was alive before and it was a baby before. I, I know that, but there's a difference when that baby emerges from the birth canal or a cesarean section, the baby is taken. They, they write down, this happened at da-da-da-da-da this time. I don't doubt that and I believe that, but we, I think we need to be careful that we don't discount someone whose entry into the kingdom might be less dramatic than ours. Um, the church that I grew up in was strong about making a decision. And I think most folks in my church believed if you weren't crying, it wasn't real. If you weren't, you know, we come from the tradition of the mourner's bench. And, and I'll tell you, I, I've been here 27 or eight years and I still, every Sunday, I still struggle with how few people ever come to the front, to the altar. It's not because I don't think you're saved. I don't think it's because God's not doing the work in your life. I've seen God do a work in your life for three decades. But my mindset was the only way God does anything is to make you, you know, take you to the altar and eviscerate you, cry your eyes out. Um, you know, and, you, and you're so under the Spirit's influence, you need a driver to get you home. But I've, but I've come to realize not everybody responds that way. Some people grow up in a church where completing catechism or confirmation is where you cross from death into life, um, or at least that's where the deal is sealed. I, I, but I think whether you go through catechism or, or confirmation or through church membership class or whatever, I still think there is a point that you pass from death to life. I think it's I think it's far earlier than most of those folks believe because I think a decision for life is made before you complete the course. But what I'm trying to say is we come, our church is from a background where we observe the mourner's bench, you know, in the, uh, in the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The, um, Jonathan Edwards revival, the, the, uh, the great awakenings, what I was trying to remember. Um, there were people that were encouraged to come to the mourner's bench for two or three weeks 
to see if they were saved, to see if they were brought into the kingdom. A lot of reform theology, uh, that, that, you know, it's a, you come and, and just wait and we'll see. And I, I, I used to be very hard against that. I don't think it's necessary, but I do think that even in those moments, they were putting the emphasis on you need to know that you have passed from death to life. And I, I know that I'm, you're looking at me like I've just grown another head, but I think what I'm trying to say is this, we have to make a decision that we're turning from this to this, but it may not always look like your decision. C.S. Lewis described his salvation as joy by surprise. He said, I believed before I realized I believed. He said, my, there are some friends in the church that say, well, now you realize you've believed, even though it might've been weeks ago, this is when you got saved. He said, no, I think I passed from death into life here, but I didn't understand all that was happening. I think God is that good. I think God is that good. I think God saves us when our heart is turned toward him, even if we don't have the wording right. But the point I am trying to make is don't let that be an excuse for not making a decision. Well, I'll just, you know, Lord knows my heart and I'll just keep going the way I'm going because the Lord knows my heart. Let me tell you something. That's not good news. The Lord does know your heart. He knows you're on the wrong road. And he has sent his son and the ministry of the Holy Spirit <laughs> to tell you you're on the wrong road. And we need to understand about repentance, first and foremost, that it is a turning around from going in one direction to go into another. Concerning the future, we turn toward a right direction where we'll end up in the future. We, we remember the words of John the Baptist that would be echoed by Jesus, Mark 1, 15. He says, repent and believe the gospel. And Jesus seems to give us conflicting signals. He said, when you see this, you know that the kingdom of God is among you. When you see this, you know that the kingdom of God has come. But then Jesus also talked about the kingdom of God as something that was coming. And I think the best way to explain it is this. Jesus said, I have come to open a door of access to the kingdom of God that is coming. Your job is to stop going away from the kingdom, to turn toward the kingdom. It's not here in its fullness. Love them, it's not here in its fullness now. All you have to do is turn the news on to know the kingdom of God is not here in its fullness, but the kingdom of God is here with full access. And we can begin to walk towards something. We may not be able to grasp it all. We may not be able to make it all happen, but we are able to access a kingdom that with time will come to pass and be manifested fully before us. Now it's not only past and future, but it's also the present. We turn around in the present to affect the change of direction. Let me tell you this about repentance. I, all my life, just about it and, and well, not all my life, my childhood, my, my early Christian life, I believed that repentance was based on guilt. Now, we do need to repent because we're guilty. I, I've, through the years, I've had people say, why do I feel so guilty? And I just say, it's because you're guilty. You know, <laughs> that's why we feel so guilty. We are guilty. 
But repentance, here's something so beautiful about repentance. This is why it's important that you understand the turning around. Repentance is, just, is not just about guilt. Repentance is about hope. You go to the doctor and he says, you have a cancerous growth in your abdomen that is going to take your life. You've got maybe six months to live and this thing is going to take your life. And you say, oh my word, I'm dying. And then the doctor says, but wait a minute. If we do this surgery and if we give you this treatment and if we do something else, he said, there's a 98% probability of survival. You see, you've suddenly shifted from doom to hope. And I'm, that's not a good analogy because salvation is not 98% chance of survival. But you understand what I'm saying. The doctor gives you something that brings you to despair. But if you listen to him just a little bit longer, he brings you hope and says there's a way out of this. That's what repentance is. Repentance is recognizing my guilt and my guilt is my own doing. I'm going the wrong way. But I can turn around. I can turn around. Now, here's the second thing I want you to know about repentance. Repentance is not only a turning around from the wrong direction to the right direction, but repentance also is seen as a willingness to make a new start. You see, repentance is not just saying, I'm guilty. Repentance is saying, I'm guilty. And Lord, with your help, I'm not going to live this way anymore. You say, well, I've never heard that about repentance. Well, let's, let's just dig a little bit. What about those passages in the Old Testament where it says God repented of what he was going to do? Or God repented, was sorrowful that he did this or had done that. I want to tell you, God never has anything that he needs to apologize for. God never has anything that he says, oh, I shouldn't have done that. It was wrong. And, you know, even though sometimes the translation says God was sorry that he did this, I don't believe God second guesses himself. I don't believe God Almighty ever says, well, I wish I hadn't done that. Now, I've done that. I do that regularly. You know, why, why did I say that? Why did I do that? Why did I think that? You know, I don't believe that's ever about God. But the idea of repentance, and especially when we see God repenting, it's the idea of willingness to make a new start. When God repents, it's not, Corey, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. I shouldn't have given you joy. Should have given you somebody else. And I'm just so sorry about it. No, it's not like that. God did right to start with. God says, for whatever reason, we're going to do something different. We're going to do something new. Even if I've determined you need to be judged for this, Corey, I'm going to change my mind and try something new. See, Exodus 32, 14, uh, usually in King James, it's the word repent. Uh, 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 a better English word is the word relent. So the Lord relented of the harm which he said he would do to his people. Was God wrong in bringing judgment to a rebellious people? No. Was God unjust? In judging a rebellious people? Absolutely not. But you know what God said? He said, because I love you, we will try another way. We will try 
another way. And it wasn't like, I don't know what to do. I'm going to try something else. He said, I can do this or I can do this. This is what you deserve, but I'm willing to give you mercy. When God repents, it's in essence, God saying, I'll show you more mercy. I'll deal with you differently than the prescription says. Are you catching this? When, when God shows mercy, it's God repenting. It's God relenting. And when we repent, we not only realize we're going the wrong way and we need to turn around, but we're also saying, you know, I'm not going to live this way anymore. I'm not going to think this way anymore. I'm not going to add Christianity to my list of other things in life. Everything's turning around. I'm trying a new thing. Jeremiah says, now then reform your ways. Your de Guys, you ought, somebody ought to be shouting and foaming at the mouth over this right now. I must not be explaining it well. Now then reform your ways, your deeds and obey the voice of the Lord your God and the Lord will repent or relent of the disaster which he has pronounced against you. God says, I know what you deserve. I know what is logical. I know what is the process. One plus one equals two. But I am willing to let one plus one equal 11. I am able to introduce a change into the equation. And loved ones, when we repent, we don't just admit we got caught. We don't just express remorse. But we say, I am willing to introduce a new way of living. Yeah. And that's what God's a, Psalm 106 for. Thank you, Fomers. Psalm 106 <laughs> talks about the sin of the people of Israel. Nevertheless, he looked at their distress. I'm so glad <clears throat> that he sees my distress. I'm so glad he not only sees my sin, he sees my brokenness. Can I put it this way? I'm not only glad he sees my guilt, I'm glad he sees my turning. I'm glad he sees my willingness to try something new. And he remembered his covenant for their sake and repented or relented according to the greatness of his mercy. You see, with God, repentance never involves turning from a wrong decision. Repentance never means I rethought this. I wish I'd done it differently. No, it's mercy enters the picture. And he says, I will introduce an access that was not introduced before. So likewise, when we repent, we are operating from guilt. We're operating from shame. We're operating from sin. And we say, I've been going the wrong way and I've got to go that way. And Lord, I'm willing to change my ways. I'm willing to entertain a new way of thinking. Here's the third thing before we wrap it up with the Christian life lessons. We repent, not because we've been caught. We have been. We repent, not because we are caught, but because we are being rescued. Repentance means I am rescued from this mess I am in. We are in trouble, but through grace, we have a way out of our trouble. Okay, now repentance. I'm going the wrong way. I make a change of mind that sends me in another direction. It's an openness to a brand new way of living. 
and I receive repentance because as bad as my situation is, God has shown me a way to get out of trouble. That's why repentance is good news. Doesn't that sound better than admitting you've done something wrong and then spending the rest of your life trying to earn your way to forgiveness? Let me give you the Christian life lessons. And these, I know I've got five. I know that's a lot, but I think these may help us bring balance to, to what I just said earlier. Number one, when we're talking about repentance being good news, it's essential that we recognize the reality of sin and the depth of our problem. Loved ones, I think, I think one of the worst things we find in, in Western Christianity is the idea that you're not that bad. You're not that bad. And, and, and even if you're bad, you're not as bad as some people are. We need to realize that all of us are lost. All of us are going to hell except for the intervention of Jesus. And it's not, we're not going to hell because of the things we do. We're going to hell because we have made a choice to reject Jesus. You say, well, people are going to hell because they do this, 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 and this. No, scripturally, people do this, this, and this, and this because they're going to hell. Hell is determined, heaven is determined by one thing and one thing only, what you and I do with Jesus Christ. I can't be good enough to earn heaven. I'm, I'm, I'm already bad enough to, to go to hell but both of them are based upon what happens when repentance is offered. Do I turn and entertain a new way of life? Or do I say, this road served me well, I'll just keep going down this road. That determines heaven or hell. And we need to understand, loved ones, that sin is real. We have a problem that we cannot get out of. You remember, well, no, I didn't do it on Sunday morning. I did it on, on Wednesday night. I was talking about the teaching of total depravity. Total depravity, uh, both Calvinists and Arminians believe in total depravity. But one group defines total depravity as there's nothing good. Everything I do is evil. Everything I do is bad. I don't think that's total depravity. Because even the worst of us, even the worst atheist has good traits. Uh, even Hitler petted his dogs. You know, I, I, don't, I don't think total depravity means everything you do is evil, everything you do is wrong. It doesn't mean I'm as bad as I can be. Total depravity means I'm as bad off as I can be. There's nothing, whether I am profoundly wicked or morally pretty good, there's nothing I can do to earn the favor of God. It has to be an intermediary known as Jesus Christ. We, I've used this till it's worn out, so forgive me. I'm saying this for those that have never heard it. If you're trying to jump from earth to the moon, it doesn't matter if you go to the top of Mount Everest or you try to jump from the lowest place on earth around the Dead Sea, you are going to be equally unsuccessful in reaching the moon. And whether you are morally upright, a good tax-paying citizen who helps the poor and deals with the unfortunate, or whether you are an absolute reprobate that does nothing good, you are no more likely to jump from earth to the moon whether you're here or here. 
We are as bad off as we can be. I do not believe, and I want you to know the scripture does not teach this casual grace that, you know, just God's in a good mood. God loves you. And, you know, God's, God's not mad with you. Don't adopt a casual grace that does not understand the depth of your wickedness and the depth of our sin. Now, I, I know God is for us. And I think more people have an idea that God is against them than God is for them. I understand that. But the, the response to that is not to say, well, there's no consequence to sin. God doesn't matter. Uh, it, it's not even right to say, well, God tells you about your sin. It's no problem. Just ask me to forgive you and I'll forgive you. It's no problem. Oh, there's a big problem. The sin had to be paid for. Sin is not something so casual that God says, oh, don't worry about it. God paid for our sin through the death on the cross of Jesus Christ. He gave us hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we need to understand that grace is not cheap. Grace is not casual. We are hopelessly lost. As my pastor used to say, we're more lost than a goose in a snowstorm. But there is hope through repentance. We also want to be on guard against universalism. The Bible does not teach that God is so good, everybody's going to end up saved. I listened to a man, I walked into a, situ a place, it was not my conversation, but it was hard to not hear what the man was saying. I thought, oh, this man's sharing the gospel. And what he was telling somebody is, you know what, you're saved and you don't even know it. Everybody is saved because Jesus didn't die in vain and he died for everyone. So everybody's going to go to heaven. And the guy said, I don't even believe in God. He said, you may not believe in God now, but when you stand before God in judgment, he'll convince you and you'll accept Jesus because the Bible says every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. Loved ones, when you read that in context, that is not a statement that says, oh, don't worry, everybody will believe in the end. It's a statement saying, no matter what your rebellion, you're going to come to the place where you acknowledge the truth of God. You acknowledge the truth of God. To make that confession, and when we talk about confession, we'll talk about this. When you make that confession on this side of life, or death, I should say, it becomes redemptive. When you make that confession on the other side only, it is simply an admission of guilt. It is an admission of guilt. So we, we've got to understand that true grace is wonderful beyond compare, far greater than we can imagine. But it is not something that was free. It's something that somebody else paid for. We receive grace. We are set free, not because God says your sin is no big deal, but because he gave the ultimate payment for our sins. Here's number two. True repentance is a work of the Holy Spirit. Y'all listen close because this is a sermon in itself. Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict, King James I like, convince. He will convince the world regarding sin and righteousness and judgment. You know what Jesus is saying? He says without the help of the Holy Spirit, you cannot understand what sin is. Without the help of the Holy Spirit, you cannot understand what righteousness is. 
Without the help of the Holy Spirit, you cannot understand the, the profound implication of judgment. He said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convince the world about sin because they do not believe in me. That's, see, that's what I just said. He said, they think sin is doing this, this, or this. But what he was explaining, he said, sin that damns is because I am rejected. They need to understand that the sin of all sins is to not believe in me. He is not a God among the gods. He is not a way to the Father. Jesus said it very plainly. You can't destroy it by trying to play with Greek words or, or, or wiggling around context. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life definite article. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father unless he comes through me. Anybody, as good as another religion may be, and we're accused of it being hate speech. We're accused of it being intolerant, intolerance. <coughs> and in many nations, you go to jail for preaching that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. I pray that it will never be so in our country. But I think there are people that would take us that way if we would let them. There is no path to the Father except through Jesus Christ. And the only way you can understand that, I can't convince somebody by theological or philosophical arguments. The Holy Spirit has to touch their heart and say, this is the sin of all sins, the rejection of Jesus Christ. He said, regarding righteousness, because I'm going to the Father and you're no longer going to see me. <coughs> that doesn't seem to make sense. But what Jesus was saying is this. He says, you want to know what righteousness is? It's the effect of me going to the Father. It's the effect of me standing at the right hand of the Father, seating, being seated at the right hand of the Father to make intercession for you. The only chance you have at righteousness is not by doing good deeds. The only chance you have at righteousness is by letting me give you my robe of righteousness and my intervention to the Father. That's the only way we can stand righteous. And he said in judgment, they need to understand judgment because the highest ruling entity in this world system, Satan, Satan, the highest ruler of this present world, he's not above prosecution. He is being judged. He is being brought down. And if the prince of evil cannot withstand the judgment of God, you need to understand you'll never withstand the judgment of God either. So that's the second one. What's the third one? <coughs> True repentance has a positive and negative dynamic. You see, I think sometimes we are, we're good at understanding separation from sin. But we don't understand that at the same time we're separated from sin, we're dedicated to something. And that is to the service of God. See, that's why your train's going in the wrong direction. You just don't get them to stop the train and sit there. You get off the train and say, I'm going another direction. You see, you, you were dedicated to evil. I was dedicated. Let's give you folks a break. You were dedicated to evil. <coughs> you were serving your own lusts and your own desires. You were blinded by the prince of the power of the air, the prince of this world. But you not only said, whoa, I'm not going to go this way anymore. You said, I'm going to turn around and now I'm going this way. 
I'm dedicated to something. Doesn't it feel good to be righteous over here? You're dedicated to something. And we need to understand that repentance is not just, I'm not going to do this anymore and I'm sorry I did. Repentance is I'm going to do this and I'll do it with all of my heart. Number four, true repentance is intellectual, emotional, and volitional. That means repentance is this. It's, it's intellectual, but it's not just intellectual. It's emotional, but it's not just emotional. And it's volitional. That means it, it requires an action. It has to do with your will. Let's, let's use an analogy from days gone past when people traveled from coast to coast, from city to city using trains. Um, a man says, I'm going to go to, from Chicago to New York City. He gets on the train, he's riding, and he sees a sign that says, welcome to Iowa. And he says, that's strange. He, he said, when I got on, I thought the sun was in the wrong place, but I just thought maybe Chicago's so big, maybe we're just kind of looping around. And now I'm welcome to Davenport. We're leaving Davenport, and I see it's so many miles to Montana. And he says, the evidence, one plus one plus one, it equals three. I'm going the wrong way. All the evidence tells me I'm going the wrong way. But do you know that man's still going the wrong way? Even if he knows he's going the wrong way, he's still going the wrong way. So the second thing that happens is he has an emotional response. He might say, this is going to greatly confound my plans. I'm, I'm going the wrong way and I'm upset about this. Or he might say, oh God, I'm going the wrong way. But he's still going the wrong way. He's still on that train going the wrong way. He has to make a decision that says this. I know I'm going the wrong way. I, I am upset that I'm going the wrong way, but I'm going to talk to the conductor and the next stop we make, I'm going to get off of this train and get on a train going the other way. And at that point, his problem begins to be solved. I, first time I went to London, and I've been several times, I feel comfortable getting around London, but the first time I got on the, the tube, you know, the, the, the subway, and I misread it and went the wrong way. And it took me about three times, three stops to say, this is not right. I'm going the wrong way. I knew where my hotel was and it was getting further and further in the wrong direction. So I get off the train and I find a, a, a policeman, if I remember correctly. And I said, uh, I'm, I, I need to get to this hotel and I think I'm going the wrong way. I said, can you tell me what I need to do? He said, yes, you need to go the other way. <laughs> and I, he said, I said, I, I understand, but I don't know how to, trains only go one way, this way. He said, you've got to get on that platform over there. And I said, how do, I, I don't see any place to get on the platform unless I jump down on the tracks. He said, oh, don't do that. He said, you wouldn't live to get to the other side. I said, well, what do I do? He said, you've got to do this, 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 and this. 
He said, now you're going to, it's going to seem counterintuitive to you because of the path you've got to take. He said, but if you'll do what I'm telling you, you'll emerge from a set of stairs and you'll be standing right there on that other platform. And he said, I can tell you're upset. He, he said, they must not have subways in your town. And uh, I said, no, they don't. I lived in Peoria, Illinois at the time. I said, no, they, they don't have subways there. We, we don't have anything like this. He said, well, just, you've got to understand. I know you're upset and you need to be upset because you're going, you're going into a rough part of town. Um, in fact, don't get off of the path I'm telling you to take because you're in a very bad part of town. And he, seriously, he said this, he says, you ever heard of Jack the Ripper? And I, I thought he's playing with me. I said, yeah. He said, this is his neighborhood. He says, don't deviate one step from what I'm telling you, but you've got to turn around. You've got to calm down and you've got to turn around. And I did exactly what he said. I did the four turns or whatever. I ended up on the other side and I got on the train and went the other way. And within an hour, I was at my hotel. But loved ones, you see, it wasn't just that I intellectually figured out I was going the wrong way. It wasn't that I understood and said, I'm, I'm going to end up on the, on the coast of England instead of uh, the west side of London. I'm, 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 I'm upset and I've got a schedule. I'm supposed to meet some people. I've got to get there. But I had to be willing to do what I was advised to do. And repentance loved ones, a lot of folks, I'm not saying it's you, but I'm saying in the church world, there's a lot of folks that know they're going the wrong way, but that's as far as they've gone. They know they're going the wrong way. There's a lot of folks that know they're going the wrong way and are upset about the direction their life is taking. And that's good, but you still haven't repented. You're not repenting until you admit you're going the wrong way. Your, your emotions, they, they play a role, but they don't fix the problem. They can be a motivation for you. At some point, you've got to get off of the train you're on and get on the other platform. And I'm afraid that the gospel that's being preached in America today is just telling people how they can feel better about being on the wrong track, how they can feel better about the bad decisions they've made. And loved ones, I want to tell you, repentance is good news. You can feel better about the decisions you're made, that you've made. I can feel better about the decisions I've made, but I feel better because there's a place I can get off the train and get on another train. Now, here's the last thing. True repentance means we align our actions with our new way of thinking. Okay, I know this sounds bulky. Now, I, I, you know, I probably need to say this too. We're talking about 14 words. You know, this is not, it's not an assembly line you go through. Okay, today I will repent. Tomorrow I will have faith. The next day I will confess. Then I will be sanctified. It's not, you're not going through a line and God stamping you saying, okay, he's repented. Okay, now he's confessed. Okay, now he has faith. No, this, you, you want to know why it takes 14 words to describe the Christian faith? Not because it takes so long to become a Christian, but because salvation is so marvelous, one word can't describe it. This stuff is simultaneous. I am being sanctified. Now there's some with a future impact glorified. 
you know, there's some that has a future meaning. But God says, I want you to know, oh, I want you to know that what I'm doing for you can't be described in one word. It can't be described in one word. And so the writers of the New Testament go to great lengths, taking more than a dozen words to say, let me show you. He said, some can only be described, some of what God does and you can only be described as adoption. Some of what God does for you can only be described as regeneration. Some of what God does for you it can only be described as glorification. And what you've got to do, repentance has these three prongs you need to understand. And faith is something that God will give you, but you respond. You're saved by grace through faith. Oh, loved ones, don't think, man, I got to get in line, get my book stamped. Okay, level two. No, this is what you are right now. But you just don't know it. You just don't know it. See, when I was born, I I, I think the earliest memory I have is I was right at three years old. I imagine in those days when I saw my mom and daddy, the only thing I thought was a warm blanket, a clean diaper, and lunch. That's all I thought. I didn't understand that I was his heir. I didn't understand that he loved me so much he would die for me. I didn't understand the love that a mother has that would protect me when I didn't even know I needed protecting. I just, I'm just eating, burping, dirty in my diaper. That's the way we are as Christians a lot of times. We don't understand what God has done. Oh, come on, y'all, quit this. We got to go. But true repentance means we align our actions with a new way of thinking. See, it's the renewing of my mind, not that I just have a positive attitude, but it's the renewing of my mind in that I view the world differently. Everything is different. That means I don't live the way I used to live. Listen to two verses, or three, from the epistle of John, chapter two and three in his first letter. He says, we know that we have come to know him. How do we know we've come to God? If we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. See, you may have been baptized. You may have gone through confirmation. You may have joined the church. You may pay your tithes. You may attend every Sunday. But if your life is the same old life you used to have before Jesus, there's a pretty good reason to believe that you might not have ever come to him to begin with. Listen to what he says in 1 John 3, 6. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. You say, "Uh uh-oh, Ah, no one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Say, Pastor, you've been telling me for years to trust in the grace of God and I still sin, I still make mistakes, I still fall. Well, this is where I wish that everybody could read it in the Greek New Testament because the tenses of the verbs explain exactly what John is saying. John is not saying, if you ever sin, Again, you weren't a Christian to begin with. John wasn't saying if you're battling things, you're not really saved. You wouldn't be having these battles. No, this is what the tenses of the verbs say. It says this, no one who knows him keeps on sinning the way they did before knowing him. 
You see, God did not create. I wish he had. I wish God had made it so that when we got saved, we couldn't sin anymore. But he did do this. He made it so we couldn't sin anymore without the deep convicting power of the Holy Spirit. We're all going to sin. We're going to continue to sin. But loved ones, if we'd live the way we used to live and, 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 and fail God consistently the way, you know, if you committed adultery as a way of life before you became a Christian and now you're a Christian, you're a church member and you're still living in adultery and, you know, extramarital affairs or, or you know, whatever, you, you need to come back to the altar If you were a drug dealer before you came to Jesus, don't say, well, praise God, I'm a Christian now. I pay tithe on every dollar I make selling dope. No. What did Jesus say? Go your way. Don't sin anymore. Now we know we sin. We know that some of us don't have to look any further back than this morning to say, I, I've sinned. And that doesn't mean we don't know him. But what John and his Greek verbs tell us is this. If we keep living the same old life, if there's no change in us, need to go back to the altar and see if you checked in at the altar to get relief or if you checked in to get release. So many times we practice select repentance. We focus on the sins of others. I'm, I'm amazed at, I'm amazed through the years. I'm not talking about just anybody I'm looking at right now, but I'm amazed at through the years how people will condemn others for sin or even accuse them of something that's not even true. And they'll do it in the name of Jesus and not realize that they're still in the same old sin they were to begin with. They're still looking for flesh to work the righteousness of God. And it never works. It never works. Repentance says, I am wrong. I am living wrong. My attitude is wrong. I know my mama might've done me wrong. My daddy might've done me wrong. You know, the, whoever might've done me wrong, but I'm going the wrong way. And I need to turn my life around. That means I'm going to start thinking about others differently. I'm going to start thinking about sin differently. I'm going to start thinking about righteousness differently. I'm not going to use my old arsenal. And my actions are going to line up with my new way of thinking. I'm, I'm not here to say, oh, if you've ever said something you shouldn't say, you need to repent, you're a hypocrite. I, I think we all need to repent regularly. I think that's a no-brainer. But the question I'm asking you today is this, and, th and, and I'm, I'm going to end with this. Have you really repented or have you just joined? Have you selected what you'll walk away from and hold to them some other things? See, sometimes I think we just, this train's going the wrong way. I'm going to get on this train over here. It's still going the wrong way, but it's slower. Repentance is good news, but it's good news because it requires a radical turnaround. 
Father, we thank you for helping us understand this first word today. Thank you that we'll no longer use this in a sentence incorrectly. Hopefully we'll no longer misspell this. But we'll understand that repentance is good news and repentance means I'll never be the same again. Lord, if there are issues that we're struggling with, you'll help us. That doesn't disqualify us. If there are weaknesses that we have that have always been a weakness to us, you'll help us. You, you're, not, you're not demanding that we walk in perfection. That is our goal. But I've never known anyone that made it, except you. You never left it. But Lord, for, the, for you to do what you want to do through the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got to begin with repentance. If there's anyone here or anyone listening, maybe their intent was good. They just want to be better, but they've never really repented. Would you help them repent today? Would you help them understand that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Thank you for showing us that repentance is good news. It's good news. It shows me my despair and then shows me there is hope. May we all turn to hope today in Jesus' name. Would you stand with me, please? Whether if you're here or over in Brown Chapel, I'm, we're about to dismiss, and there are ministry teams that are making their way to the front now. If you are not sure that you have been born again, well, we're jumping to another word, regeneration. But if you're not sure that you have repented and you want to repent, let these folks know. They, they know how to pray with you. They'd be glad to pray with you. Here or Brown Chapel, if you're listening online, there's a team of people, if you'll call the number that's on your screen, all you have to do is say, I want to be sure that I've repented. I want to be sure that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. I know that it's very costly, but I know that Jesus paid the price for me. Call that number and they'll be glad to talk to you as well. If we have calls that all the operators are busy, leave, leave the message and we will call you back just as soon as we can. Repentance is good news. I don't, I'm not what I used to be. I'm not what I used to be. I'm going in another direction. You say, Pastor, I'm just discouraged though. I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I could be. I, I, I'm, not what I, I'm not what I want to be. I understand. But you're not what you used to be either. You're going in a new direction. God will build.